Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button, or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life, and we hope and pray that you find that in this message. As we said last week, throughout the Bible, we hear terms like teach and train, treat, sharpen, and encourage. In Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 27, Solomon wrote a proverb that has been repeated for centuries. It's a great proverb because we all know it to be true, and it works. Uh, but we ignore its wisdom and its practicality, and we typically don't take the time. And applying this proverb properly will bring the good and potential in others, depending on the character and motivation of those involved. And so the proverb that Solomon shared with the world is, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Most understand that taking a piece of metal and rubbing it against the edges of another piece will cause those edges over time to sharpen. But you can also take a piece of metal and start to hammer down hard on another, causing one or both pieces to shatter or to break. As the prophet Daniel uh, talked a little about in his letter, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And so this concept of iron uh, can be used to, for good or bad, sharpening or smashing. Now we started this series last week, again, as iron sharpens iron, focusing on how being members of one another uh, in the church, that as the church, we are to be sharpening or developing each other for God's glory and for growing the church, increasing our family, not tearing it down, not smashing one another. You know, I decided to preach on this subject matter back in February, and apparently for good reason. I don't know or I didn't know what the church here or across the world would be experiencing at this time, but the Holy Spirit did. Once in a while I drive past these little mom and pop shops that advertise uh, on these makeshift uh, boards that they sharpen uh, uh, cutting tools of all sorts. Never have I driven by uh, the one that says, bring your tools in and we will do our best to dole that, that particular tool to the best of our abilities. We will smash the edges off making the tool useless. I don't ever see signs like that. Church, we, we can be great at everything we do, but as we learned last week, if we don't have Christ's love, then whatever we do will only produce a higher opinion of oneself. Loving each other uh, is a huge sharpening tool that God has provided each one of us to develop and share with those around us. As I was, uh, I was reading from a blog from Kerry Newhoff about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and he said something that I've always tried to keep at the forefront of, of the ministry that God has blessed me with. Those of you who have been around for years or, or know me know that to be true, because as a man, it's difficult at times. It's extremely difficult, but it's also something that has been drilled into my life, my brain, by my parents and grandparents and other spiritual mentors, not just through the words they demonstrate through their lives, our home, and their ministries. It's been difficult in the sense that as a man, pride can set in pretty quickly without notice or even an invitation. 
We all know it's difficult to love people who are always, you know, ripping on you for their own personal gain or false assumptions. I guess to make themselves feel better about themselves, I don't know. And so I'm going to keep serving and loving, knowing those two things with the right motives, no matter who's doing it, will put a smile on our Lord's face. Because as Paul said in his letter to the Corinthian Christians, love is patient. Love is the greatest. Or, or, or what he said to the Philippian Christians as he tries to sharpen them. And I hope you know this scripture well. It simply says in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge uh, and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Or what Jesus instructed uh, as, he sharpened it, or as he was trying to sharpen his followers with this command that you should know well. And a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A must, and if, you have to do this. And so what I would encourage you to get out your, your magnets that we gave back in, I think, 2017 on our core values and put them out there front and center and get out your core value booklet and get it out and start reading it and pay attention to what's in there because it's important for the church, the body, to be moving forward. So here is what I read in that blog that was so powerful and meaningful to me to make sure that I, we, uh, keep it front and center no matter what. It said, in the church, more people is a good thing, but more love is even better. As you have probably figured out, more love often leads to more people, but if it doesn't, you're still left with what? More love. More love. I've also been reading a book by Francis Chan, my son Jonathan gave me last week, called The Letters to the Church. And, and I, I'll be sharing some of excerpts from this book um, somewhere throughout this series. And if you, ha if you want a good read, I would encourage you to buy this book and, 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 and so that you can sharpen yourself on what the church is to be and what people should be experiencing as they walk through those doors into a church building across this world. Church, we have an opportunity to either sharpen one another for the good are smashing one another in hopes that we eliminate or destroy the body. Christ's followers are to be in the business of encouraging, being merciful, and strengthening the church by sharpening ourselves and others in loving the way Christ loved us. There are no exceptions to that. No exceptions. I have the, I've had the privilege of growing up with two sisters, okay? I, I think my parents uh, were the greatest people on planet Earth. They were the greatest parents. They've always been hard workers. They had their usual 40s and 50s education. They learned most of what they needed to know through the school of, uh, called life experience. They, they, like most parents their age, had parents that weathered the, the Depression, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam conflict, the 60s cultural wars, disco, and the 80s music. They, they experienced, uh, the experiences of that great generation taught their own kids how to survive with nothing and how to be the best that they could be. They never lacked anything important in life, and, and my parents never allowed my sisters and I to ever lack anything important in life either. We had the usual problems growing up. 
but we were a close-knit family. My sisters and I had our knockout, drag-out fights all the time, and we all went through the usual selfish stages that, that teenagers, kids go through. We fought a lot, but we loved each other anyway. Cable television came out or, uh, around the, in, somewhere in the 40s for people living in the hill country or their hollers uh, for better reception, mainly for the news. And then in the 60s, cable was aggressively marketed in commercials to be streamed into homes that sacrificed hard-earned income so that they could start the ball rolling for families to start spending more time watching television and sacrificing quality time together reading a good book uh, or, or other activities around the kitchen table or outside. The family was starting to be destroyed. We, when we got cable, they were all family-oriented programs, if you remember, and, and that's when they had the great cartoons. I, I watched my kids' and grandkids' cartoons, I'm like, this isn't a cartoon. This is, this is political indoctrination these days. I'd rather watch CNN. And so when school was over, I would race home most of the days to beat my sisters so that I could watch Bugs Bunny and Speed Racer and Space Ghost before they turned on Partridge Family and the Brady Bunch, which were good shows, don't get me wrong, but nothing could beat a good cartoon. My sisters and I fought all the time who was going to watch your program until my parents got home and made us turn the television off or, or we would be grounded if we didn't share uh, and, and, or we would have to watch the, our, our, my sister, I'd have to watch your programs the whole week. That was bad. You, you're asking, well, why fight over one television? Everybody's got televisions in all their rooms, right? Nah, back then we had one television. And most of them were black and white. Being the only boy, the middle child, my, pay, my, my parents' favorite son, the fighting with each other was our privilege. No one else's. If someone at school started picking on my sisters, I'd gather my friends and we'd do our thing. Um, and uh, Teresa, Teresa was able to hold her own, but my little sister Tina, not so much. But no one was allowed to lay a hand on my sisters, including myself. My parents made sure of that, but I was ready to defend them. And mom and dad, they made their mistakes. Uh, they, they were far from perfect, but they were our parents. They loved us and, and cared for us. They provided everything we needed. They spoiled us too. Usually at Christmas time, we got everything new. Tons and tons of, of Christmas presents, but throughout the rest of the year, it was garage sale clothes and toys, whatever. And I didn't mind that because I enjoyed going to garage sales. It was a lot of fun. But they were devoted to us even when we were anything but thankful and cooperative, and even when we fought like cats and dogs. They continued to love uh, my sisters, even though they sassed all the time. It was unstoppable. I'm like, Mom, put them in a garage sale. <laughs> but their greatest teaching or sharpening skill that they instilled in all three of us was our understanding of God's love and, and, and Jesus being our personal Lord and Savior. They taught us that we could become an important part of kingdom work. We have a responsibility to serve him and to serve one another, being compassionate and giving to others and loving others no matter what. Today, all of us are grown up. We were all about to hit our 60s. Well, my older sister's in her 60s. 
Uh, we have our own children, and they have blessed us with grandchildren. Mom and dad are in the presence of the Lord now. My mom always looked beautiful up to the moment she graduated into heaven, uh, despite what she endured with dad's injury and, and being his caregiver for a number of years and the turmoil that her immediate family went through and what we kids put her through. Dad was always a strong individual physically and spiritually after his head injury. Uh, he was a different kind of person, but during those years, they were more devoted to each other than I could ever remember. They depended on each other. They were dependent upon even God in those moments than we had ever seen before. Teresa is 700 miles away. We don't see each other much. But when we do get together, it's a great time, especially as we reflect on childhood experiences and God's grace in allowing us to be a family that loved one another even during and after those knockdown, knockout fights. And there were a lot of them. Our parents... Uh, taught us to love family, to love each other. They even told me, son, you have a great responsibility to love and protect your sisters. Even when you're mad at them or they're mad at you, you help your family during the good times and the bad times. You encourage and love your family because there are going to be some painful moments in life. And, and, and if it's just going to happen and you need to be there for them. Church, my, my sisters have been through some pretty hard times in their lives and they know uh, without a doubt that I love them. I don't always like them, but I love them. They don't always like me, but I know they love me. We always work through the crap because we're family. You see, being a part of a family is something with which most people can identify. This is why Paul wrote what he did to the Roman Christians to sharpen those Christians to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And he introduced the Roman Christians and us to another comparison or analogy to illustrate a working church. Last week we talked about the physical body compared to the body of Christ, the church. Here, uh, Paul is talking about the family unit. He gets a little more personal here. Paul clearly explained in great detail the physical body concept that Christians are, are members of one another. Uh, that each part is connected for the greater cause in strengthening and protecting the body as a whole. Every believer, no matter what his function was in that particular church, is necessary and extremely important in God's plan for the church as a whole. And so family, uh, the family concept gives us an even greater appreciation of what a working church should be. The, the, the concept of the family adds a dimension of, of warmth and tenderness and concern and loyalty. In short, human emotion and devotion to one another. And using the body analogy, Paul drew upon physical aspects to emphasize the importance of every member's participation in the church. But when he used the family analogy, he was illustrating that psychological uh, issue, the emotional aspects of what it looks like to be in a close relationship with other Christians. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And the term brotherly love is, it comes from the, the, where we get the word Philadelphia. It refers to the love that should be, exist between uh, parents and children and, and a husband and wife. It refers to the love Christians should have for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. You have heard all your preachers use the term that we are all family. 
not just by physical birth, but by the blood of Jesus. We are fam the family of God. Paul acknowledged this when he prayed to the Ephesian Christians, if you remember, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family, the whole church of, of believers in heaven and on earth derives its name. Church, Jesus is the namesake of God and we are his namesake. And we need to start living like it. The term brothers is used to, to refer to the Christian family approximately 230 times throughout the New Testament beginning with Acts. The term is not only used by Paul, it's used by Luke and James and Peter and John. And the word brothers literally means from the same womb. There is no missing what Paul is trying to, to explain here. When, when it refers to Christians, it means fellow believers and members of God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ from the same spiritual womb. It means we have all been born into God's family. We are spiritually related to each other through a common ancestry. Paul writes, in love, he, referring to God, predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Every one of us. We've been adopted into the family of God. This phrase that Paul uses to be devoted to one another builds on and even supports his emphasis on brotherly love and family relationships within the, within the church. To be devoted literally refers to the mutual love, again, of parents and children and husbands and wives. It could, it could be translated showing love, uh, uh, loving affection or love tenderly, a very loving or loyal you see, Paul is being very intentional in his comments on how Christians are to be, uh, are, are, are to be just as devoted to each other, just as, in, uh, as, as interested, uh, interested in sharpening one another because that's what family does for each other. We love each other. We sharpen one another. Church, according to God's word, we are blood brothers. For in Christ we have redemption, Paul writes, through the blood the forgiveness of sins through his blood. Not anything you and I do, but it's through the blood of Jesus. Now we all remember the story of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, right? It was, it was required reading when I grew up. I think it's outlawed these days. But these two young boys who both loved the adventure along the Mississippi River, they, they signed a pact together with their own blood, committing themselves to one another. You remember the story? A blood brothers would do anything for one another, and some blood brothers would even give their lives for the other. And so back in the, in the early 70s, my good friend Dave Zaring lives in Arizona, uh, and I did the same thing, all based on you know, the Huckleberry Finn story. We loved the adventure that northern Indiana provided you know, kids at that time. It wasn't the Mississippi River, it was a St. Joe River. It was it wasn't the backwoods of Mississippi or Louisiana. It was uh, the backwoods of Fifth Street Trails or Dragoon Trails. That's where we spend our days together. And so Dave and I decided that we would become blood brothers. I didn't have a brother in my family. Uh, Dave had eight brothers and one sister. I had two sisters. That was a nightmare enough. And so, and so you know, I thought it was going to be cool to have a brother. And so Dave and I took out our pocket knives that we were allowed to have back in those days and we cut our thumbs and we rubbed our blood together over the same cut, you know. Everybody's like, Egh. we did that back then and we became blood brothers till death. Now the, the, the vow that we made to one another was this, that we would go through our junior high and our senior high and our college days and our young adult life and our marriage life without smoking and drinking and doing drugs. And we've encouraged each other along the way. We've sharpened one another and so far so good after 40 plus years. Neither of us have done those three things.
Church, we are all aware that Christians begin at some point, right? We're all babes in Christ at some point in our walk with Jesus. The, you know, the starting point. We go through different stages of that growth, life experiences, and understanding allow for that different pace in that growth to take place here. But in our immaturity, we can easily fall into the habit of self-centered behavior. But as we mature, our lives should reflect the nature of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why Paul encouraged and sharpened them, uh, the members of the Philippian household or family. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Consider. Each of you should not look, or should look not only to your own interest, so you need to take care of yourself, but, he also, but also the interests of others. And so how does one develop relationships in the church setting here, family relationships? How, how does one truly become and sharpen others to, to understand the importance of being part of the church family? How can we do those kinds of things? Well, showing affection and love to other Christians and, and, and treating them as brothers and sisters in Christ does not happen automatically. If it were automatic, then Paul would not have had so many instructions to do so in God's word. And so our first step must be our first step must be to take seriously with, God, with the Bible what God says about brotherly love, about sharpening one another for the growth of the, of the church, the body of Christ. And I want you to listen to uh, some words here from the word of God. This is from Paul to the Thessalonian Christians. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. We've been taught by God to do that. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, and we urge you, we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more, more and more. Sharpening and loving others takes time, effort, and sacrifice. What are you doing to sharpen others, church? Because he says to do so more and more. He, uh, the Hebrew writer says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were a fellow prisoner, and those who are mistreated as if you yourself are suffering. You see, sharpening others can be exciting and adventurous and reflective and rewarding. What are you doing to sharpen and love one another so the church can grow? Peter writes, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply, deeply with all your heart. He didn't, doesn't say with a quarter of your heart or half of your heart or three quarters of your heart or seven eighths of your heart. He says all of your heart for you have all been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. It's his word, his living word, Jesus Christ, that we have life. And that is where our focus has got to start getting, church. Not just here, but across this world, especially in America. And so, church, what are you doing to demonstrate that you understand the serious nature of sharpening one another with Christ's love? By showing compassion and reconciliation and forgiveness, mercy, grace. Peter goes on to say, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessings. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And so Peter is really stepping this up a notch for us to sharpen and love each other and not smash nor break each other by, by encouraging us not to return insult for insult or evil for evil. Love as brothers. Blood brothers, he says. 
love. He says this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faithful, uh, faith goodness and your goodness knowledge and to your knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness what? Love. Again, Peter shares some pretty awesome sharpening techniques for us to grow the church. And I asked the church, what do you choose to do? What do you choose to do? Don't worry about the person next to you and what they choose to do. What do you choose to do as the body of Christ? Church, if, if we want to be serious about sharpening and loving on each other, then start by evaluating your own attitude and actions towards other members of your Christian family. Are you only following God's word and using God's Christ's love to sharpen others when you like them? When things are going your way? When that person hasn't hurt you, uh, whether it be intentional or not? How deep and real is your love and appreciation for another Christian's life that has been created in the image of God just like you? If you read through Romans, and this is where I want you to turn to, Romans chapter 12, you're going to see that throughout this series. I'm not going to put scripture up here because I want you to open up your own Bibles, your own Bible app, whatever you got there. I'm not going to do this for you. The church needs to open up God's word. We need to get familiar with it. But if you read through Romans, you will discover something that Paul tried to sharpen the Roman Christians with so that they could do the same for other Christians. And as he encouraged the church here in Rome, he says in 1215, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And by saying that, he also goes on to say, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Those are great sharpening tools that demonstrate Christ's love for all of us. This part of our relationship with each other does, not, uh, does in fact evolve, involve a little emotion, right? Deep feelings of joy and, and as well as, as feelings of, of sadness for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Some Christians find it difficult to relate to other believers, though, on that kind of level. Because, you know, uh, if you, it, we, we don't show emotions, especially guys, but if you, if you are one who struggles with this, I think it would be wise and, and even interesting for other brothers and sisters in Christ who do find it difficult to express emotions towards or, or with other people to find out why it's so difficult for you to do so. Because God says we've got to do it. It doesn't matter what our excuses might be. He says to do it. Now, one thing that I've always been a proponent of is, is not to allow your emotions to rule your decisions or your relationships with anyone, especially God. Because if you do, since we are all subject to highs and lows in life experiences, you place yourself in danger of thinking or feeling that God or others don't love you because in those moments, those low moments you know, of life, we have a hard time believing that we have any kind of value uh, uh, to, to anyone, especially church and even God. When you're down here, well, God doesn't love me. We're up here, oh, I'm the greatest Christian. And then we go in between, I don't know. God says love all times. And so we do these, we react this way because we want to keep ourselves at a distance from everybody else uh, because we're hoping things will get better, but they never do. And that's why God, God's word instructs us to sharpen one another during the joys of life and the heartaches of life. And the only way that happens is be in relationship with one another. If you are interested in pinpointing why and allowing yourself to be vulnerable, here are a few things that you might want to step into. Do you fear rejection? 
Because some people have been hurt uh, by others, so they're just afraid to express their feelings uh, for fear of being hurt again. I get it. Everybody's been there. I think we can all agree that this is no excuse for not reaching out to those in their joys or their sorrows. Because if we want to become a church that is moving the way God intended, then we have to understand the importance of our relationships with one another within the body of Christ. And so church family, we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. I, I know that can be a scary thing to even think about. And many of our church family, they're, they're going to let us down. Just know that. You're going to be let down. We're human beings. The only person that's supposed to be up on a pedestal is Jesus Christ himself, not any man. And we get our feelings hurt because we put man up here rather than Jesus. We have people right here in our own church family that had experienced rejection by a parent or a friend. Nothing they did growing up mattered. They were constantly belittled, yelled at, made fun of, told that they wouldn't amount to anything, and the list just goes on and on. But we cannot allow, church, we cannot allow negative experiences to rob us of God's blessings as we sharpen those who need it. That's where the real blessing comes from. And because of the treatment that some people have within the body of Christ, they build up these defensive walls. They hide you know, in their rooms, they hide behind their sports, they hide behind work, their studies, a relationship, TV, music, games, so they never have to, to make any more attempts to win approval by anybody. This, those kind of life experiences follow you into adult life, doesn't it? It's because nobody wants to, to be rejected again. We, we're, we're afraid of that stuff. And so you see, church, why we need to sharpen one another by loving and encouraging one another, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Man, you, you talk about connecting to one another and helping people to connect with the church and Jesus Christ, getting, get, helping them understand that they have value in kingdom work. They have value in the eyes of God. That stuff will work. That'll work all day long. Here's another question to ask yourself if you're willing to be vulnerable or sharpen yourself. Did I grow up in a home where affection was shown, wasn't shown? Because a lot of people have grown up in, in homes where love and affection it just wasn't there. It doesn't mean they didn't love each other. They just didn't express it. They didn't express it the way you grew up. But this behavior usually carries over into dealing with people that we worship with. We take what we learned as a child and we take it into our adult life. Another way to sharpen yourself and become vulnerable is asking this, am I angry and resentful or, or even over the little things of life? Because some Christians are constantly acting out you know, with anger and resentment toward other people. And this usually comes from people who are feeling guilty about their own sin and their own lives and so they have to take it out on other people to feel better about themselves. Are you that person? I, I don't know. You can only answer Another thing to ask, do I spend much time, too much time thinking about myself? Because there is a lot of selfish and self-centered, uh, self-centeredness within the body of Christ. They, they think only about themselves and their ideas. They could care less about their brothers and sisters in Christ. They think about that the world revolves around them. And if others don't act like or think like they, then they really can't be true brothers and sisters in Christ. A sure sign that they find it difficult to really express the kind of brotherly love that Paul is talking about here. Like I said, uh, this book by Francis Chan and the podcast from uh, uh, Casey uh, uh, Newwolf and, and, the, and I'm also listening to one by James McDonald um, about Harvest Bible Church have shown me that the church across America 
The church across America, without exception, is dealing with a lack of level of love that Jesus and the New Testament writers are talking about here. Because if the church were doing and loving the way Christ loved, we wouldn't be spending so much ridiculous time on nonsense. With the chaotic world we live in, the church has got to rise above this stuff. It, 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 it focuses, we focus too much stuff on, on things that, that don't sharpen anybody, except for your own pride, our own pride. We have to start to sharpen one another so we can actually sharpen the body of Christ to love the way Christ loves so that his body, his church will grow. If, if you have difficulty telling another brother, another Christian you love them, then force yourself to act on something that you know is the right thing to do. And if we begin to sharpen one another, as God's word says in this particular area, then the church begins to move in unison the way God intended for the church to move. No, we, we're not going to look like we did 20 years ago. We're not going to look like we did two and a half years ago. And that's okay. But we need to start becoming the kind of church that Jesus prayed for that we would all agree with one mind that the most important part of our ministry as a church family is to bring honor and glory to God, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and his love. Let me close today by reading what God says in his word on sharpening one another by, by being devoted to one another. And again, that's found in uh, Romans chapter 12. Please open up your Bibles and follow along. Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in, in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take a revenge my friends but leave room for God's wrath for as it is written it is, my, it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord on the contrary he says on the contrary if your enemy who? if your enemy is hungry you do what? you feed him if your enemy is thirsty you do what? You give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If God's word is telling us to treat our enemies this way, how much more should we be treating one another? Church, are you sharpening yourself by allowing God's word to sink in so you can sharpen others that God places in your relationship? Are you sharpening for the good? Or are you smashing Sharpening to smash and break people. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I know, it sounds like this was a harsh message, but Holy Spirit, he's going to move. And I'm telling you, church, when we move with the Holy Spirit, when we move with God, he will take us places beyond that we could ever imagine. But we've got to start paying attention to where he moves and not where we want to move. This is about him. This is not about North Liberty Church of Christ. It's not about the church across the world. This is about Jesus Christ. 
And the church has got to get on board if we want to see such a chaotic world come to know peace and joy that is only found through Jesus Christ. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.